whose priceless blood has ransomed me. But was the sin that drove the bitter nails and hung him on that judgment day? In my Redeemer, who crushed the power of sin and death, my thank you uh, that you have granted us salvation, uh, not on any merit of our own, because uh, we all know well that we would fall short uh, every moment and require salvation again, but you accomplished salvation once for all through Christ, your son. I ask you would help us uh, not to glory in any of the righteous deeds that we have done, uh, but to glory in our glorious Savior. Uh, uh, grant us understanding of your word. Uh, let it be a refreshment to our souls as we continue to study Ephesians. In your name, amen. Well, we're in the middle of chapter 3. And we've talked about the blessing of God unfolding to us in Christ, unfolding from the eternal plan of the triune God. A blessing that is comprehensive. Every blessing in the blessing of Christ. We are in Christ. And so we are blessed. In our union with him, we receive every blessing. The inheritance of Christ is ours, as Paul puts it in Romans if God didn't withhold from us his only son, will he not also with him freely give us all things? <laughs> I like to uh, find these places in the Bible where, they, where the writer uses some, you know, some absolute term like all or every because the Bible is quite outrageous in this way and outrageously good. Uh, all things are yours in Christ because all things are his. He uh, reconciles all things. God reconciles all things to himself in Christ. And we also are those things. And we are caught up in the very fellowship of the eternal triune fellowship in Christ by the Spirit from the Father. And uh, we join the everlasting song. That just gets me. <laughs> we, there's an everlasting song sung by God Almighty to each other. And in this great plan of His, He creates us and extends to us His creatures made in His own image to exhibit His image in the creation 
we walk in that fellowship, that is a blessing, that's a comprehensive blessing. There's nothing left out of that. And we have that already in Christ so that we, the body of Christ, the people of God, become the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's ridiculous. It's so good. There's no reason to wear your Christian faith as a burden. It is 100% blessing. And it is 100% of the blessing. And that is the good news announced. That's, that's why I'm telling you one more time. I'll probably tell you again before we're done. You should just read the first chapter of the book of Ephesians about once a week because it will encourage your heart every time. And if you can stop there, you're good. Because, <laughs> man, the first part of chapter 2 is you were dead, now you're alive. Good grief. So then in our second session, we looked at how God made us how we were recreated in Christ and that that is not just an individual reality. That is an individual reality. That's in a different verse that we looked at, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So you were made new. You were started over in Christ when you came to faith in Christ. And so were we. In fact, we weren't recreated. We were created the church in Christ. There wasn't one up until then. And so we are the one new man together. And that was made in the sacrifice of Christ by the blood of his cross. So, in light of this exposition, of his exposition of the mystery of the one new man, Paul stops to pray. In fact, he was about to stop to pray at the beginning of chapter 3. Because at the beginning of chapter 3, he said, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then there's a dash and it says, Assuming that you've heard, and he goes back. And he recovers some of the same ground again. And that's where he says, and so we're, we become the exposition of God's manifold wisdom. The end of that. Anyway, so he got distracted. <laughs> he was about to talk about how he prays for this reason. I Oh, and wait, one more thing. And then in verse 14 of chapter 3, he, go, he, he, he comes back from that detour and he says, Okay, for this reason, same reason. What's the reason? Well, it's all that we learned in the first two chapters. For this reason. Because God has made you, the body of Christ, one new man in Christ, reconciled to God in one new man. Because of all that, because of the 
comprehensive blessing of God on the body of Christ. I pray for you, he says. So, for this reason, that, that takes us back to chapter 3, verse 1, which takes us back to chapter 2, the second half of chapter 2, at least, and maybe the whole thing before that. All peoples have been reconciled to Christ, in Christ to each other and to God in one family. For that reason, I pray, he says. For this reason, I bow my knees. Who is he praying to? Who does, to whom does he address his prayer? Well, the Father. Hmm. Well, that, that turns out to be an important word. That he says the Father and not just God. It's the same person, of course, but he's addressing him in, re, in this relational term father to the father and then he sort of tells you what he means by that from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named now we have a translation problem in this sentence it says every family now it turns out that the words in the greek language every Every might also mean all, or it might also mean the whole. And I think in the context from which we are <laughs> dealing, it must mean the whole, because there's only one family in mind here. We already have been called we've been told that as Gentiles we are now members of the household of God that's the family we're talking about there's, there's a family in mind and so my personal preference would be from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth those who've already gone and those that are still here that whole family is named from this father. You could, I I, you could ask what name. I think the answer to that question in this context would be Christ. But whatever you say, this is the person Paul is speaking to to ask for what he's going to ask for. So, what does he ask for? I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you. Okay, here it is. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's what he's asking for. That he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Paul's asking God to give the body of Christ, his readers, some ability. That's the word power, dunamis. The word power is the ability to do something. And so we're being strengthened 
with power. Have you ever noticed how Paul sometimes like stacks up redundant words to sort of emphasize a thing? Well, this is one of those. Strengthened with power. <laughs> so, strengthened with power. So, he's asking God to provide to us some ability that we don't possess if he doesn't provide it. Some ability. And to what extent does he ask that we be strengthened? Well, according to the riches of his glory. So who knows how much that is? The riches of his glory. That is kind of an unlimited thing. And so he's asking that is the extent of this strengthening that he, he's asking for the whole thing. The, as much as possible to an unlimited extent he's asking to an unlimited, God according to your own glory strengthen them with this power starting to sound important now how's he going to strengthen them them is us through his spirit in your inner being through his spirit Paul anticipates God the father communicating some supernatural power to us by the indwelling spirit his own spirit that in You should never get over the fact that God Almighty actually dwells in you. In the person of the Holy Spirit. That is mind-boggling. And I, you can't even say mind-boggling strongly enough. God Almighty indwells each and every person who trusts in Christ, who is united to Christ. Okay, well, anyway, so he, that's how he's going to provide this strength, the Spirit. God will call upon the Spirit to empower us. This is not natural ability. This is supernatural ability. This is divine ability. In the inner man, so whatever that is, all the way in, heart and soul man. Well, what is this ability? Power for what? Strength for what? What is the ability the Spirit? may communicate to us in response to this prayer. Here it is. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now this is a prayer for the church. Doesn't Christ already dwell in your hearts through faith? 
yeah. And apparently that's, even though that's something you possess, it's something you need to possess. It's apparently Christ might more fully dwell in your heart through faith. The word dwell here is one of my favorite words in the whole Bible. It's the word you find in John chapter 15 where Christ says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me. That word abide, same word, dwell. Meno is the little Greek word, and it means to take up residence someplace, to occupy, to stay. If, I, uh, if you went on a trip and I said, uh, where are you going to stay? If I spoke Koine Greek, I'd use this word, where are you going to stay? Where will you dwell while you're there? What's your, if I asked you, what's your address? In many languages even today, if I meant to ask you where your, what your address is, I'd say, where do you stay? Same word. Where are you from? Where do you, if I use this expression, where do you live? In ancient Greek, I would use this word minnow. So Paul is praying that Christ might occupy our hearts through faith, that he might take up residence in our hearts. And for this, he's asking that we be strengthened. Now, sorry, somebody's texting me. The, if, if I asked you, how hard is it for Christ to dwell in your heart through faith? What would you say? It doesn't seem hard. We ask little children for, to do, to trust Christ by telling them to invite Christ into their hearts. Did you, you should invite Christ into your heart. Paul is praying that we would have the strength that Christ might occupy our hearts through faith. Apparently, that's not just something anyone can do. Apparently, my heart is not up to the task of the occupation of Christ. My heart is not able to house Christ apart from this strength that I receive from the Spirit of God. I think that was true in the first place, and it's true to this day. For Christ to fully occupy my heart, I need to be strengthened in the inner man. Perhaps my heart lacks faith, because that apparently is the way Christ comes to occupy my heart, through faith. Oh yeah, my heart does lack faith, man. My heart, yikes, it's all over the map on faith. It comes and goes. And of course we know, we've already read in the book of Ephesians, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. So apparently even in the first place, 
The Spirit had to strengthen you to trust Christ for Christ to occupy your heart. Still true. I need the strengthening ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, to trust Christ to be occupied by Christ. Okay? Now that, actually, there's more to be that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you will be able, strong enough, to grasp the full scope of his love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 says, this is how we know love. God sent his son, a sacrifice for sin. How well do you grasp that love? How deep is your understanding of that love? It might be pretty deep, but it's nowhere near as, nowhere near as deep as that love is. <laughs> that you'll be able to grasp the full scope of, all the, all the, of the love. So he says uh, that you being rooted and grounded in love, in other words, you have some grasp on this love, you're, you're rooted in it, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know something that you can't possibly finish knowing. Do you think, well, here's what I think. The the work of heaven, the eternal project, is to explore the love of God in Christ. And as we live together in the new earth, we will be continuing forever to explore the love of God in Christ, to see its riches, to experience it again and more and of course we're involved in that project already and so with all the saints he says oh so how hard is it to figure out how well loved you are apparently you need the supernatural strengthening of the holy spirit to see to that to really get it about the love of god and to grasp the love of Christ and here he uses that little expression with all the saints here's a thing we do this together we do this together we're all sitting in a room listening to me preach about it why because we want to get it and if we work on it together, we'll get it better. If we talk to each other about it, we'll understand it more. If, if I come to you and say, listen to me how, to, how the love of Christ has been exhibited in my life recently, that's an encouragement to you to fully grasp the love of Christ. We do this with all the saints, not alone. It's not something I can handle on my own. There's a lot of stuff like that, right? There's all kinds of things we do. It takes more than one person. 
things we don't do for ourselves or things we have to do together. I mean, we have teams. And we're to gather, we're to grasp the breadth, length, height, depth. Wait, there's four. <laughs> if, you, if you have height, why do you need depth? What's the difference? Other than which end did you start from? In that understanding of those terms, this is a way of saying, oh, and it's multidimensional in a way you haven't yet understood. Another way of understanding this terms, these terms is breadth and length is a horizontal description of the whole space. And height and depth goes from heaven to earth to under the earth. Okay, either way. It's a big thing, the love of God, and you don't really understand it very well yet. And so Paul is praying for us that the Spirit of God himself would strengthen us to trust in Christ, to be occupied by Christ in such a way that we come to grasp his love. Well, what better way would there be to grasp the love of God than to be occupied by Christ in your heart? No better way. The Christ who for the love of God and the love of us gave his life a sacrifice for sin. By the strengthening ministry of the Holy Spirit, which according to Romans 5, God communicates his love to us by pouring out his spirit in us. Uh-huh, same story. Well, this also, there's more. Because that you'll be able to grasp the full scope of his love, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge for another purpose, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Oh, we've been there before. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So Paul, what's he doing in this prayer? Except he's praying that the Spirit of God would enable us to get it. What he, all the stuff he said before. This fullness of God thing. The fullness of God in the life of the community of Christ, the body of Christ, the church. Christ-likeness is something that can only be fully realized in the body of Christ and only partly realized in the individual believer. When he says filled up to the fullness, again, it's a bit of a word pile, he's filled up to the fullness. Filled up is, means there's not any room for anything else. It means Christ is fully occupying our hearts and our heart that we're fully occupied by Christ in the spirit 
And so, like Christ, we walk as children of God. In other words, we live in fellowship with God, and this determines how we live in fellowship with anything else. You remember, you've, been, you've studied the book of John, yeah, recently? You're in the middle of it? Yeah. What do you constantly hear Jesus saying in the book of John? He really says it again in chapter 8, I think, where he sa- he's sa- always saying, I'm pretty sure this is in 6 too, it's all over the book of John. It's one of the themes. Jesus is constantly saying, I do not ever act on my own. Ever. I never act on my own initiative. I only do what the Father is doing. I only do what I see He's doing. At the beginning of the book of John, I think it's in chapter 3, we learn that Jesus, that God has given to Jesus the man the spirit without measure (laughs) and Jesus the man lives as a man by trusting completely the father and walking completely in the direction of the father communicated by the spirit and he claims to be perfect at this I never do anything except what I see the Father doing. That's sonship, likeness, bearing image. This is Genesis chapter 1. Jesus is the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 1. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. The Son of God bringing the nature of God into the creation of God. That's what humans are for. And Jesus is that. And so when Paul prays that we might experience the the indwelling of Christ by faith, the occupation in our hearts of Christ by faith, he's talking about us entering into that sort of fellowship with God that might then be exhibited in the creation image. Fellowship with God reflected in fellowship with creation. So the occupation of Christ of his people is for that purpose. Christ-likeness is something that we only realize actually in the body. Really, fully, or potentially fully, I guess I'd probably have to say. I would illustrate this like this. Suppose you took a hike this afternoon, you're walking through the woods, you're walking down the trail, and you look down, and suddenly you see a finger laying there next to the trail. 
that's really creepy. Well, I'm going to imagine that it's my finger. Now you can see I have them all, but so it's not, but this is imagination, right? So uh, there's my finger laying by the trail. It wouldn't even take, you wouldn't even have to do a DNA test to show that it's my finger. You could take a fingerprint to show that it's my finger. It is a perfectly Doug-like finger. If you did a DNA test, it has the same DNA test that all my other fingers have, that everything about me has. It's only mine, it's perfectly mine. It is as Doug-like as a finger can be. So you could say, hey, I'd like to get to know Doug, so let's study his finger. How's that project gonna go? The parts of the body are not the full story of knowing someone. Now, I could be the perfect Christ-like Doug. Not yet, someday. I could be a really good representation of Christ in the world individually. But knowing me won't be knowing him. The body is how we know someone, not the parts. The fullness of God in the world is in the body of Christ. The the image of God in the world is not my duty and your duty, it's our duty. It's our, what we're created for as one new man. Now, this text concludes with this amazing benediction. It's famous because these are some great words. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Now Paul's just been asking and thinking that God would empower us in some particular way. And now he's saying, now to the one who is able, the one who can, to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, Oh, we've read about that before in, here in Ephesians, right? That power that raised Christ from the dead, that also raised us from the dead. That power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. That glory is in the church. Now the church is a body of individuals. So it's in each of us and in all of us. And the prayer here is for us to realize something. To realize the glory of God in Christ. To realize the love of God in Christ. To realize the fullness of God in Christ in us. 
so the benediction is to him who is able. We're not able, but he is according to the power at work within us. Now, at the end of looking at these prayers, I always, I always want to stop and notice it's a prayer. Because here's what we're doing, I'm sure. Oh, I need to get more Christ in my heart. I need to study the love of God. Well, th those things are certainly true, but that's not the point here. You definitely do need to know the love of God better than you do, and you should expend some effort on it. You definitely do need to trust Christ in order to be occupied by Christ. Though I don't know how you would spend any work on that. But anyway, believe in Jesus. When you might not believe in Jesus... Okay, so you're not absent from these things, but this is a prayer. <laughs> this is a prayer, which means it's not a commandment. It's not saying, believe in Jesus harder, dumb Christian. It's not saying... Appreciate God's love. You're, you're getting it wrong. Wouldn't be wrong if it said that. But it doesn't say that. It's not a commandment. It's a prayer. Lord, help me. Empower me. Strengthen me. That, I, that's, that would be a right response to this. Pray along. Paul's asking God to give something. This is a thing we struggle with, I find, in Christianity, in the whole church, for all of history. We always want to do something. We always want to do something. We always want to be religious. We always want to make a list and get it done. And God will appreciate it. We always want to convert, convert grace into law. We read the fruit of the Spirit as though it's the Ten Commandments. We do that here too. So I just want to close with this kind of strong reminder. This is a prayer, not a commandment. And so ask for it. Don't try to do it. Because you're asking for the power if the Spirit of God strengthens you, trust Christ. Christ occupies you. Christ occupies us. We become better reflections of Him. We're talking about a, a, a fellowship. A fellowship. A relationship. A knowing of someone's. We come to know God in Christ and then knowing Him, we come to represent Him in the world together. And that's the point of this prayer. That the things that have been 
done by God in the church would play out in the real world in the church. Now we're going to get to more of that, right? Because the, the next thing is something about uh, how this actually works. We're going to talk about the biology of the body of Christ and how the individuals are formed into the, the unit and what we, all the, the you know, the, the gifts and the service together and the becoming the body. Um, so from here, there's much more, okay, what do you do then? We're going to take the turn from here's what's true to here are the practical implications of what's true. Although we have a problem because Paul's going to get distracted again back into what's true. And he's going to describe how the body functions. And there's things to do in that, but it's not really about what the things to do. It's about how it's supposed to work. So next time we're going to talk about that, the the biology of the body of Christ. I uh, would encourage you to uh, pray with Paul this prayer. That thing that is the heart of the book of Ephesians is in this prayer that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That, <laughs> that little clause is the thing. The thing. All other things are nothing. That is the thing. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you would be occupied by Christ. And that is the work of God in us. And we are sort of called upon to trust in it, live in it, live from it, somehow get it. That's our challenge. All right, I'm going to stop there. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this amazing work that you are doing in the life of your people. Thank you that we can address you as Father that we know that we've been included in your family, that we are your beloved children. And Lord, we pray that we would grow, not just each of us, but that we would grow together, that we would experience the love of Christ in our own fellowship with each other, that we would be real partners in the gospel that we would love one another, that we would love our cause, and that we would love our Savior, that we would be attentive to the Spirit and trust in His strengthening for all of these things. Or we pray that you would strengthen us with power so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. We ask in the name of Christ, amen.